0: To innovating leadership, co-creating our future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf, founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. I am delighted to have on our show today returning guest, Dr. Mariana Clatt. Dr. Clatt is the director of the Center of Integrative Health at the Ohio State University Medical Center, and also a well-known researcher. Mariana, Dr. Clatt. <laughs> We're going to be talking about the idea of integrative medicine and well-being. And how that relates to leadership. Mm -hmm. Leaders can't be effective if they're unwell, physically, emotionally, spiritually. We just have less to give when we show up to work.
1: So let's start with what is well-being? Well, I love your tie, Maureen, with well-being in the leadership because I don't think anyone could be a good leader without being well themselves. And so to understand what well-being is... It's not just physical wellness, it's not just mental wellness, it's not just spiritual wellness, but having attributes of all three of those things come together so that you have the confidence to enjoy your life and to call others to be leaders in their own lives. To me, that's the power of a leader, him or herself, being well.
0: You know, I love that tie to what leaders do. Which is in part inspiring followership. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to inspire
1: people to do their best when you're feeling bad. Oh, (laughs) I would think that's nearly impossible. Yes. And you can sense when a leader is well themselves or not. It's like pornography. You know it when you see it. You know a well leader when you see them. And you know unwell. Angry oh. <laughs>
0: crying, <laughs> poor decisions. Yeah. Yes, we've got a lot of examples of
1: that. Yeah. And on my bad days, that's how I feel.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think we all do. So uh-huh. the importance of well being, even for well people. Uh-huh. And for people and I know you'll talk about this more later, but people who have underlying issues. Well-being is even more important if you have diabetes or Mm -hmm. any number of Mm -hmm. treatable issues that absent really strong focus on well-being, which takes time out of
1: our day, we're not going to be as effective. That's true. My belief is that anybody can be well. Somebody in hospice, a cancer patient, somebody struggling with a chronic disease, We are all called to be the best version of ourselves that we can be. And so well-being is the invitation to do that and to find the ways that support us being well. I love that distinction. So if I have a diagnosis for something,
0: Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean I have to be emotionally and psychologically unhealthy,
1: even though my body is in some cases clearly unwell. I teach a class for cancer survivors... There were so many times that a survivor would say, it was only through my diagnosis that I learned how to live. Mm. And so the diagnosis actually led them to being more well than they otherwise would have been, which for a lot of people, that seems like, oh, how can that be? And yet it is.
0: Let's use that to springboard into the idea of mindfulness, because okay. I know this is a topic
1: <laughs> in which you have some expertise. Yeah. So I am a mindfulness and yoga teacher. I love both of those practices, but I think mindfulness, people mistake that for being all a cognitive activity, whereas I think it needs to be cognition and body all together. And yoga, what always bothered me in my teacher training is that I wasn't sure that people understood why they were doing yoga and what the uniting of the body, mind, and spirit could do for a person. So what I have done in my program that started in 2004, I put together yoga, mindfulness, and relaxing music to try to get sort of a bigger bang for your buck. Mm -hmm. So by combining those different modalities, my research question and the research on mindfulness and yoga was just starting at that time. Could I obtain equal or better research results than one of the practices that takes way longer than my one hour a week as a group meeting, and then 10 minutes a day of individual practice? And so (laughs) I started that in 2004, and I cannot believe I am still on that pursuit But it has been so successful within our own organization, and now we're beginning to take it to other organizations. And to see those results is, well, it's beyond satisfying.
0: Can you give us some of the results? If I'm a company and I'm thinking we're having the quiet quitting, Mm -hmm. we're having Mm -hmm. record anxiety and depression issues, Mm -hmm. there are people with suicidal ideation in volumes that we haven't seen before. If you're always anxious, your physical body is sick, right. you're tired at work, your absenteeism is up, your productivity
1: is down, all of your research addresses all of that. The biggest result is probably that it reduces burnout and increases resilience. A lot of the organizations we work for are healthcare organizations. And COVID really unveiled <laughs> the problem that burnout already was, and then- has become even bigger. So pre-COVID, our reduction in the outcome measures of work engagement and burnout and perceived stress and resilience, we had significant changes in all of those pre-to-post program, pre-to-post the eight weeks. But now we get 28% less people that qualified as burned out by the end of the eight weeks as the beginning before they start the program. So that is a great result for the organization who's sponsoring the program for their employees. And I'm thrilled to say that since 2018, the Ohio State University Medical Center has sponsored this program for any employee of the health system free of charge. And the employee feels cared for by their organization And so, of course, their work engagement's going to go up.
0: And they're physically
1: more well, emotionally,
0: spiritually more well also.
1: They seem like it. Their resilience scores, definitely. So they definitely feel more resilient. 2008, we did a study in the surgical intensive care unit to not only look at the psychosocial outcomes, but we looked at some biologic outcomes. So we use salivary alpha amylase as the outcome measure. It's in your saliva and it is a measure of your sympathetic nervous system activation. So that's the fight or flight or freeze response. And the nurses, their response to the stress that they're under all day long in the ICU I didn't know if it was possible to get those levels down. They came down by 40%. And what that research shows with the reduction by 40% of the salivary alpha amylase was that their reaction to the stress was reduced by 40%. Their response was more intentional. The stress was never going to change. You're a nurse in the ICU, the acuity of your patients is huge, but they took ownership that the way they responded to the stress was something they had control of. And let's face it, that thing of feeling like you're in control and recognizing it is true across organizations. Everybody likes to feel like they have some amount of control. Mm -hmm.
0: Just basic agency in, I'm not a victim. Yes. That ties back then to the well-being of people who are clinically physically ill. Mm -hmm. your cancer patients and Mm -hmm. others. When we tie it to leadership, we certainly want our leaders to feel that they're at choice, not victims of everything that happens in the organization.
1: Absolutely. We started out in 2018 when the organization started to sponsor it, inviting leaders from all the different service lines. So we had administrative, the CEO, head of nursing, because we wanted everybody to see, the leadership to see, Is this helpful for you? Because if they ended up feeling like it was helpful for them, then they could speak to it to their employees. And your C-level people did engage. Yeah, it was great. I loved it. And
0: that's amazing to model for our listeners, some senior executives who were saying that's okay for those people, but not me. Uh Uh-huh. It is absolutely also important or more important for our senior execs to be well. Uh
1: Uh-huh so that they can create well organizations at lima hospital here in ohio the head person there has been the biggest champion so they are now up to 60 people that have run through the program he went through it first and he was in a different cohort than his employees because we wanted to make sure that everybody felt comfortable speaking you know their mind mm-hmm. and that nobody's supervisor was in the same room as the leader of that health system, he has been just a fabulous champion of mindfulness for his employees.
0: So you talk about the program. There's actually a structured
1: program. We don't just say go be mindful. (laughs) I wish it were that simple. (laughs) Now, mindfulness, everybody thinks they know what it is. But what it is, is awareness of the moments of our lives as they're happening. And it's easy to be present for the moments of our lives that are pleasurable easy. It's harder to be present for the moments of our lives that are challenging and difficult because we want to escape from those. And yet just this week, we had a woman who said, what I realize is even when I'm with my family and my grandkids and everything's great, I'm thinking of other things. So I'm like missing the moment. I can relate to that. Yeah. So anyway, she said that was the reason she signed up for the program. So the program is eight weeks. We meet once a week, either in person or virtually or hybrid. We have all three different ways to deliver. We are delivering nationally out on the West Coast for two cohorts right now. So 40 people in the state of Oregon. So the cohorts are people that work for the same organization or they have the same jobs like we have some cohorts of the program that are healthcare professionals from all different health systems and we put them all together in a cohort or we have company specific the city has just bought a 2 year contract to deliver the 8 weeks and then in between the group community meeting which is 20 people or less then there's an individual practice Right now, it's delivered via a password protected website. Hopefully, by January 23, it will be on our mobile app that we're about three fourths done with. So, people have the ability to practice on their own. After the eight weeks, there's a once a month booster, like a refresher session. So, to build the community, keep people engaged. And there's a once a week mindful moment email that goes out to everybody of course, people can unsubscribe, for six months. I view the first eight weeks as a training and the first six months as establishing the habit of being present for your life.
0: So the first eight weeks, if I were to enroll in your program and start tomorrow, which mm-hmm. I realize I have to <laughs> wait for a cohort to start, I would be doing every day at work, 10 minutes of mindfulness exercise At my desk. I don't have to put on special yoga outfits or any of that stuff.
1: Uh (laughs) No showering after. (laughs) Yes. there's (laughs) When I say yoga, it is gentle yoga stretches. It's not anything taxing. And
0: meditation all set to relaxing music. Yes. Okay. So I do this 10 minutes a day, which you've done with clinical care nurses and other people. So Mm -hmm.
1: people find time. Yes. And when their employer is paying them work time to do it, they're engaged. Yes. We've had two different municipalities do it for people all across the spectrum, from the mayor to trash collectors to people doing the maintenance. I love these mixed cohorts, but of the same, either organization or municipality, whatever.
0: 10 minutes a day, once a week for an hour with my community cohort. Yes whether it's people in my organization or all nurses or all consultants. Yes. And those meetings happen once a week for eight weeks. So it's a total of eight hours. Yes. So the commitment of time is
1: eight hours plus 10 minutes a day. Yes. Should I be doing it on weekends too? Actually, I started out at the beginning saying, oh yeah, if you can get this into your everyday," But we changed on that. And I changed my perspective on that. So I think it's better to do it during your work week and take the weekend. Hmm. And then people say, you know, I realize how helpful that is to me during my work week. And so I do do it on the weekends. But that's a different thing. That's, you know, they're opting in. Versus versus, prescribed. Mm -hmm. And I say 10 minutes of practice. The, The research shows that 10 to 12 minutes is sort of the sweet spot. But some of the practices are less than that. They're five minutes or whatever. So
0: if I'm having a tough meeting and I come out and I say, Mm -hmm. I need to reset Mm -hmm. because my adrenaline is running, I'm angry or Mm -hmm. hurt or whatever, Mm -hmm. I can sit down for five minutes, turn on the app, reset, reset, and then go to the next meeting or carry on my Mm -hmm. day where literally my
1: nervous system can Mm -hmm. recalibrate. And you brought up the music before. I I think the music has a Pavlovian effect. And what I mean by that is the same relaxing piano music that is played during the mindfulness in motion group meeting of an hour. People love that music Uh Well, they get relaxed during that hour. When they hear that same music in the background of the individual practices, even when it's a five-minute practice, they drop quickly into the relaxation. So that's the Pavlovian effect. And it's so funny how people often say, my dog loves the music. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, I don't think your dog loves the music. I think your dog loves you being relaxed.
0: <laughs> you know, it's interesting that you mentioned the music because I recently, and for the first time, walked out of a yoga class because the music was really discordant for me. Yeah. And I realized the longer I was in there, the more anxious I was getting. Uh I thought about asking to turn it down, but I didn't know if other people were loving Uh this discordant music, so (laughs) (laughs) I opted out. You know, I could power my way through, but I'm not supposed to have to power through the music and yoga. Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to power through the postures, maybe,
1: (laughs) but not the music. Actually, the music was designed by my husband, and he played it on the piano, so... Yeah, it's his music. (laughs) Which is lovely. It is is. lovely. I can't tell you how many thousands of times over the last, I don't know, 18 years I've heard that music. But it's so funny because my research students, and we have a lab of about 14 students, they say, oh, yeah, let's play that music at the beginning because I need a little relaxation here before we start. Does he play it at home when you're having a bad day? Oh, he probably doesn't even remember how to play that.
0: Ah! <laughs> Good thing we have it recorded. <laughs> I'm just imagining him sitting down at the piano and in the background. He plays a lot. He
1: doesn't play that, but he plays a lot.
0: Yeah. Let's now shift to Center for Integrative Health and mm-hmm. Wellbeing, mm-hmm. your center at OSU. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? Because... I think for many people, they think of getting healthcare treatment being going to a doctor who prescribes medicine, pills, not a person who
1: prescribes practices mm-hmm. for well being. And it's way harder. <laughs> yes. And I understand that. And let me just be fully honest if I could take a pill to achieve awareness for my life, I would do that. But it doesn't work like that. It is a habit of being there for the moments of your life. But the one thing that I think the Center for Integrative Health has done is that it has allowed me to be the grateful recipient of some research grants. We currently have a grant from Workers' Comp to take the Mindfulness in Motion program that we've done for healthcare professionals and tweak it for first responders in the community, so police and fire and EMTs. So I'm thrilled about that. The other research study that we have going is one also funded by the Bureau of Workers' Comp, that we are putting these four-by-seven-by-seven pods on, we're calling them respite spaces, for the healthcare professional, so that there is a place that they can go to do the meditation, to do the daily practices.
0: So if they don't have an office and they're in a busy space. Uh, Nobody has an
1: office. Yeah, it is totally busy, demanding. And so to have a little space that they can take care of themselves to restore their well-being, their patient care is going to be better.
0: That's brilliant. And we don't think about, for many of us, that nurses are on a unit from the
1: moment they walk in until oh, the moment they leave. Yeah. All hardscape. Everything's hard. So we so we wrapped this respite space in a photo of foliage so that it feels more natural. And we have a comfortable chair inside. We have plants. Yeah. And then a big monitor where the meditations will play. So there's some physical exercises and then the cognitive relaxation so that they can be refreshed even in an amount of five, six minutes.
0: And you're seeing evidence from your research that this
1: program is delivering a significant ROI. (laughs) Well, you listen to the participants, absolutely. But beyond that, yes, the statistics show the ROI, in terms of return for the individual also. Mm-hmm. The ROI for the organization. We did a study looking at a couple of different mindfulness programs that we were offering at the hospital. And we did a three-to-one match for age and you know all these different things for people that worked at Ohio State that were part of the health system. So we had a pretty good sample there. What we looked at was their healthcare expenditures for the people in the mindfulness programming did they spend less or more on healthcare i didn't know what the answer would be it ended up being it was about $4000 or less per year per person per person which it was the weird part was they saw their provider more often and so maybe they were more adherent to whatever the recommendations were I can
0: say since I've been doing yoga, so now that I'm kind of like someone who just quit smoking right now, I'm a fanatic about
1: <laughs> yoga. You're a convert,
0: yeah. And I arrange my schedule around it where I can. Uh-huh. I am feeling physically healthier, but I'm also making healthier eating choices. It's all related. It spills over to different parts of our lives, yes. I drink less alcohol because I don't come home and feel stressed. I've uh-huh. come home, done yoga stress less, wow. especially
1: hot yoga when I just don't have the energy to lift a glass of wine. <laughs> but but I do think you make a change in one part of your life, and it spills over to different aspects. I've also always wanted to do a study on teachers and see if their students notice a difference in the teacher.
0: I think there's the Youth Yoga Project that uh-huh. focuses on teachers I just don't know the research behind it. I believe there is, but I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. It would have to.
1: It seems like it would.
0: The other piece that you and I haven't talked about, but I've read some research about leaders moving through the levels of developmental maturity, Mm -hmm. that leaders doing yoga and meditation will move more quickly through the maturation levels. Mm -hmm. So I would imagine...
1: A structured program like yours would be very helpful. Oh, I definitely think that. It's amazing how many leaders then call me and ask if one of their family members can be in the program. So that tells me not only did it help them, but they they want to help those whom they love.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking people watching their kids struggle with school, Mm -hmm. COVID, -COVID, Mm post-COVID. And just young people are struggling in a way Mm -hmm.
1: we've never seen. Right. We do a a section, some cohorts for college students. We do, as I said, for cancer survivors, for just busy adults working in different types of organizations and then healthcare professionals. And now we're, as I said, we're expanding to the first responder population. That's really exciting. I know. I'm very excited about that. (laughs) What I hear is then
0: that there's nobody that is contraindicated. There's nobody it doesn't work for.
1: No. (laughs) No. I think anybody in today's modern society could qualify as a busy adult.
0: And busy kid.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: Is there an age
1: group below which you're not working? (laughs) I did a a program called Move Into Learning with second and third graders, and it was wonderful. We got significant reductions in hyperactivity, significant increases in attention and focus. It was great. I loved working. It was an inner-city project. We had two classrooms. One classroom did it. The other was weightless control. Then we flipped. And it was a wonderful project. Just doing research with kids is so much more intensive for the researcher, getting the parental permission. and <laughs> So do I think that helped their learning? Yes, I do. And it's the same... Content? Like the same music, the same... No, not the same music. I used, actually, I used a beautiful song, Born in the Heart of Every Child is the Power to Change the World. That was the mm. name of the song. Wow. And yeah, so instead of using my husband's, I used that. So I took the adult program and then modified it for a second grade audience. There was a lot more active movement, and, mm-hmm. you know.
0: Young people more active, adults at work. Active but less. So even if you're in a wheelchair or other kind of mobility challenges, Mm -hmm. people can still do the program.
1: Yes. Well, in the cancer survivor cohort, a lot of people don't have the range of motion because of surgery or whatever. And people just are instructed to do what's comfortable in their own bodies. When you talked about the movement, that's one thing that we're adapting for different professions. So for example, with the first responders, there's a lot of back pain because there's a lot of sitting, driving around. And so we have designed, so during the eight weeks, we're pushing out on the app a five minute video to keep your body functional movement stuff to help help their bodies be more healthy, followed by a four minute mindfulness meditation that they can do during the day. So it is or can be customized oh absolutely or field absolutely. Mhm. Because for repetitive movement like I worked with uh, sonographers and the repetitive movement of doing an ultrasound on someone they have a lot of wrist problems, radiographers that the x-ray technicians that do A lot of lifting, not lifting of people, but lifting of the... Machine, the arm. Yes. And there's a lot of reaching up. They have a lot of shoulder problems. And they have those problems not too long into their profession. Really? So then they've got 20 or 30 years.
0: Right. Right. And then thinking of construction workers and -hmm. and people in the trades, Mm -hmm.
1: their bodies take abuse. Yeah. Yeah. But even people sitting at a desk all day... Sitting is the new smoking. The new smoking. So, even myself, I struggle with some knee pain when I sit too much. And just that chronic sitting is not good. Mm-hmm. Do you use a standing desk?
0: I realize that's an adjunct I do. too. Yes. Yeah, so do yeah. I.
1: Yeah, and it makes a big difference.
0: So, now let's shift a little bit to the center. Okay.
1: What is integrative medicine? Our name was Integrative Medicine, and just this past year when we became a center, I changed the name to the Center for Integrative Health, so that the focus was not on somebody else doing something to you, it was health. So you're a partner with your provider in sculpting what health looks like for you. There's a system that comes out of the VA called Whole Health, where they have social workers meet with a patient and say, what is it that you want? Why do you want to be healthy? And then they try to use that to sculpt their approach for that particular patient. So if it's to play with your grandkids, okay, so what do we have to do to get you to that point so you can continue to play with your grandchildren? And I love that lens More of a positive psychology. It's more than psychology, though. It's putting the pieces and parts together for that person, putting the tools in their toolbox so that they can build what they want. What's important for one person is not necessarily important to another.
0: Even just level of activity, playing with grandkids is different than me wanting to go hiking. Mm -hmm. If you took hiking out of my life, that Mm -hmm. would be a decreased quality of life Mm -hmm. for me.
1: For some people, it wouldn't. And so it's getting to what's important to the person so that you can see what would motivate them.
0: And you use all kinds, or you or the center uses all kinds of modalities that we haven't seen in traditional Western medicine.
1: We have acupuncturists. We have medical massage therapists. We have chiropractor. We have a psychologist. We have three physicians. We have a nurse practitioner. And then a lot of classes that get to the different modalities also. Oh, and Ayurvedic medicine, I forgot that one too. It comes out of East Indian approach to the science of life.
0: If I come in and say I want I'm stressed out and I want to be able to continue hiking and moving, mm-hmm. I might be assigned
1: to the Ayurvedic medicine person. Maybe, yeah. It depends who you come in and do your initial consult with who has knowledge of all the different modalities. And they can point you to the same way. They can help you with diet or, you know, oh, we have nutritionists too. So we have intuitive eating nutritionists, which is very attractive to a lot of people. So how do you eat from an intuitive place rather than being on a diet? It's a change in mindset.
0: Well, then it means I don't have to follow the <laughs> prescription that... <laughs> The 16 hour fasting and uh-huh.
1: eat for three hours uh-huh. and some yeah. of that stuff that it's hard to stick to. Right. So we've tried to come up with all different approaches, packages that make sense. What we're interested in doing in the next two years is coming up with protocols. You come in with severe anxiety. You know, what sort of a package or a protocol that we recommend if the providers have found that. This is very effective for that. Mm-hmm. And the literature supports that. So all of our service lines are evidence-based.
0: I love the evidence-based piece. I've tried just about everything, but I was haphazard. Uh-huh. Somebody recommended something and I could do it. And I'm not sure if it helped or not. I've done Ayurvedic medicine. Mm-hmm. I've done rebirthing every kind of modality. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure I did them in the right order. I feel better. Mm-hmm. Those issues that I was trying to address have gone, mm-hmm. so something worked. Mm-hmm. but I'm not sure what worked. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it's more piecemeal. Yeah, yeah.
0: And I slept on magnets. Everything you can think of uh-huh. I had back problems was one of them, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it was the magnets or actually stretching. <laughs> 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 I'm guessing it was stretching.
1: But see, even magnets, if you think about that, it's like we want something else. To make us better. Yeah. It's the pill. I bought the special mattress thing. thing. Yeah. Yeah. What's the new thing? What's the new next thing? Well, and the cost of all those new next things Uh was not insignificant. Uh That's another goal of mine is to someday be able to provide these services to low SES folks that may not have the ability to get these kind of practices that help people be well. And if someone is well,
0: then their health care costs are going to be significantly lower, especially if you're uninsured and your primary source of care is chronic emergency room visits. Right, that's true. Mm -hmm. And through no fault of, they haven't done something bad. It's just they're unwell. Right. And we know that your zip code indicates your wellness. So if you're living in poverty and you don't have access to healthy food and all of the
1: systemic issues, right. well-being follows, or yes. lack of well-being. Lack of what? Well, yeah, absolutely. So I'm looking forward to that in the next couple years. We have some research ideas to look at how can we get those and get our services into those neighborhoods.
0: Would that be potentially not pop-up facilities, but something akin to neighborhood Or community services?
1: I hope so. I would love to have a van. We have some community centers that are coming up in these areas. And if we can get the right players involved, Mm -hmm. if we can get the right leaders engaged, I think we have a chance to enter into those communities.
0: Do you partner with other organizations?
1: Yes, we do. The City of Upper Arlington, we're partnering with them in their wellness center we're going to move our main offices over there and see people within the wellness center downtown in the future. I hope to be part of the Martin Luther King center. I've got big plans. It's just takes some time and energy and money and the money parts hard because to have some leaders really invest in it is also a goal of mine so that we can get other communities involved. And if, companies are
0: purchasing your program Mm -hmm. they're getting an roi for that program they are and so there could be revenue to invest
1: (laughs) all i know is these different modalities and service lines have enriched my life Mm -hmm. the research shows they enrich millions of people across the world How do we make them more available so there's greater access for all?
0: Well, and I'll say now when the app comes out, I want to include Ah, it in our leadership programs. Yay! (laughs) Because we talk about building leadership. We focus on resilience as one of the aspects. Mm -hmm. Why not give people this kind of tool Mm -hmm.
1: that is doable? My whole shtick is I'm a pragmatist. If you can't fit it into your life, that's why it's called mindfulness in motion. How do you get mindfulness truly into the motion of your real life? And then the double entendre there is motion, the yoga stretches. I
0: love the program. I've done it. (laughs) And saw benefit. I am a strong advocate and have recommended it to clients for years. Great, great. Back when it was, you could buy CDs on Amazon. Oh,
1: yes. That's why we're going towards an app. We were on CDs, and then people were playing them in their cars, and I was so nervous they would have an accident. <laughs> yeah, so I think the app is the way to go. I love when different physicians who are participants say to me, my blood pressure is so much better. And also in this research that we're doing with the bundle of mindfulness and yoga and the respite spaces, we're also adding biometric heart rate variability, and um, sleep, and respiration rate. We're doing it via the Aura ring, O-U-R-A. So I'll have to wait and see. We're also doing heart rate monitors that we just started this week with um, 13 participants wearing the heart rate monitor as we do the mindfulness. So I'll be interested to see what the results of that are. I don't know. So you mentioned the Aura ring for people who don't know what that is. It's like the Apple Watch. It just gives you some health barometer of your, your own life. It also pushes out some reminders like, oh, you've been sitting for too long now. Get up and take a two-minute stretch. And it is a ring that goes on your finger. Yes.
0: Presumably then you can access it through your phone.
1: Yes. Through an app. Okay. And, you know, I am not a app person. But I have to say, I'm intrigued with this. Well, I noticed that you wear one. Yeah, which is very unusual for me. Yeah. And it gives you data that's useful. Yeah. And we're partnering with the Human Performance Collaborative, which is part of the president's office at Ohio State. And I really love working with this group. So I think it'll be great and my research partners from the School of Health and Rehab Sciences she's a physical therapist Dr. Katie Quatman Yates and so this collaborative effort has really been a cool research project I'm very grateful to be able to do it
0: so it sounds like themes certainly very strongly collaboration yes different schools different modalities yes. different practices yeah
1: back to when you started the center in 2002. We started putting it together, didn't open until 2005. And we've got a undergraduate minor called integrative approaches to health and wellness. And there's a hundred students in that every semester. So I'm excited to sort of introduce them to this idea that health is an integration of body, mind, and spirit. And we need to attend to all of those things. So those students who are in that undergrad program, they then go on to medical school, clinical psychology, whatever. And I feel like it has had a finger in their development.
0: This is great for people who live in Columbus, Ohio, well, or maybe Portland, Oregon, <laughs> or but for a lot of people, they don't have access. Mm-hmm. How would someone get access to the full program
1: if they don't live here? They can get full access because we're now all virtual. We do all virtual cohorts. Yeah. So that's not a problem.
0: And your research has shown that virtual is
1: yes. as effective as I in never person. would have gone all virtual. I am a very in-person person. <laughs> I like people. I like hearing people's stories. And COVID forced me to do something that I didn't want to do. And what it made me do was go all virtual with this program actually the results were, it was better. Really? (laughs) Yeah, but I think that also had to do with the fact that during COVID people had such a need for community. But doing that research was critical to me because if the results were not equal, then I could not scale it, Mm -hmm. which would have been fine because I'm happy with just doing what I'm doing. But now we definitely are scaling it because it is possible that I know that we get the same results. I even felt in my first cohort teaching it 100% virtual, I felt the sense of community. That's what I wasn't sure I could achieve just via the internet. But everybody's camera's on. And other than that, it's the same intervention.
0: You know, I teach programs with international participants. Mm-hmm. And I've had the same experience that
1: small group, it can't be 50 people without no. their cameras off. No oh, camera's off, no, it doesn't work.
0: Cameras on, small group, Mm -hmm. breakout groups, engaged, not two hours of me doing a monologue because no one wants that.
1: People engaged in the process, Mm -hmm. the outcomes are good. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I think has led to our success is that we have a train the facilitator program. We deliver the program first virtually and then a company then sends their people from inside their organization to be trained to become their own facilitator. And so we've got a whole process for this. And that has taken me a while to come up with, actually a number of years. This works with these facilitators, and there's there's no difference between their results and mine.
0: We're doing similar with our leadership cohort programs. Uh-huh. And with the right facilitators, they're yeah, brilliant. It's the key. And they introduce new feedback to us. Mm-hmm. Right. as well, the, the programs actually get better. If our listeners want to engage in this, mm-hmm. what I hear is they can
1: send someone to a training program. Well, first, the person has to go through, as a participant, go through Mindfulness in Motion. Okay. So they would just email us mindfulnessinmotion at mm-hmm. and we would explain the process to them. And put them in an eight-week program. Mm -hmm.
0: And then they can go into facilitator training Mm -hmm. and then carry that back to their organization.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I really like delivering it to the organization first, sort Mm -hmm. of in the pure Mm -hmm. form, so that people from the organization can see what it is. And then to have a greater number from that organization sort of be invested in it, Mm -hmm. even if they just send one person to be trained. And at least
0: in our leadership work, I found that when we train a cohort, the culture starts to change, Mm -hmm. different than when you just train Mm -hmm. a person. I think you're right on.
1: I know your work in leadership is excellent. Thank you.
0: (laughs) I find it interesting. I want to engage. Mm -hmm. We reach out to you. You bring the program to our organization Mm -hmm. virtually so we can be anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. Run a cohort through... And then I can get a facilitator or a group of facilitators trained,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so we can scale it through a large-scale organization. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, it is possible.
0: <laughs> that scaling then will produce the return on investment for the employee's engagement uh-huh. and well-being at work, and for the
1: company, reduced healthcare costs, reduced absenteeism, well, I mean, they'd have to do the research on that piece, but we do it on the resilience and the burnout and the work engagement and the perceived stress. Yeah. If I were
0: a executive in an organization, mm-hmm. I could, with some level of confidence, assume that if I'm buying your program and doing it as you've designed it, it will have positive results.
1: Yes. So I have fidelity. Fidelity, every time it's delivered, it's delivered the exact same way. That research was important to me too. The fidelity has to be there, or I could not feel comfortable knowing that it would be different depending on the facilitator. So I've developed some, a series of videos that the facilitator uses at the beginning and the end of the hour to sort of sandwich in the community building in the middle. Okay, so okay. it is
0: solidly repeatable. Oh, 100%, <laughs> yes. Even if a facilitator has a little bit of discomfort
1: facilitating the first time around. Yeah, but we have checks and balances in place. We have support for the facilitators along the way. So what does the support look like? During the eight weeks, we meet with the whole group of facilitators three times. Okay. So after their very first meeting, the first week, Mm -hmm. the fourth week, and the seventh week. Okay, and that happens forever? Yeah, during every cohort.
0: Center for Integrative Wellness. Health. Health.
1: Center for (laughs) Integrative Health. At OSU College of Medicine. Yes. Are other universities following a similar integrative? Oh, yes. We're part of the Consortium of Academic Medicine and Health. And there are like 80-some Harvard, Yale, Stanford, UCLA. Yeah, yeah.
0: So if I'm a leader listening to this and I've just said, okay, great, I need to do this well-being stuff. I want to be more well but I don't want to fly to Columbus, Ohio. Mm-hmm. I
1: can still oh, absolutely have access. yes hundred percent. Yep,
0: and engage in the mindfulness in motion program. Mm-hmm. Yes. So a couple of things come to mind. Then the first is, what's the program like? I've signed up. Something happens. Walk uh-huh. me through what something is. I don't meditate. I don't do yoga. Uh-huh. This seems a little out of my comfort zone or <laughs> way out of my comfort
1: zone. You would be just like every other participant. <laughs> so that is good. My advice to everybody who comes in is be skeptical. Don't be a believer. I'm a skeptic. Be skeptical, be curious. On the very first session, which is called Willingness to Daily Practice, That's where we start. Why does this have to be daily? What difference would it make? And here's the answer. When people come in to the virtual room or the physical room, they're asked a series of questions that they answer on paper Mm -hmm. or on their computers, Mm -hmm. wherever. It's all private. And some of the questions for the very first session are, what is it that you think is the source of stress in your life? what is most important to you in your life? And why do those things matter? What do you do three to four times a week that you get totally lost in, that you feel free when you're doing those things? So people come in and they write for the first five minutes. Then there's a 12-minute video of the science behind mind-body medicine. Because you know, when I first started this, everybody thought it was very soft science. So I start out right away with the hard science. What What's the evidence out there? Okay. Then there's about 25 minutes where the facilitator goes around and invites people to share their response to one of the reflection questions. To me, that is the heart of the program. The lessons that I have learned from other people's experience is huge. I learn way more than I feel like people are getting. I don't know if that's true, but that is really the sweet spot. Then there's another 10 to 12 minute video of the mindfulness meditation and the gentle yogic stretching with the gentle music behind it. At the beginning of the hour, though, Everybody puts their right hand on their chest and people take their respiration rate. I say, go, and I say, stop, and they count their inhales. They write it down. At the end of the hour, we do exactly the same thing. When people see the difference in their respiration rate in 60 minutes because they got relaxed, huge. So showing people their own data is critical. Now, that's a very low-tech way to go about it. The biometric stuff that we're doing with the heart rate monitors, the Aura Ring to show people sleep, heart rate variability is high-tech. They both work. But (laughs) I like to center people in their own embodied humanity. Your respiration rate. We all have a biometric that we can see, does this stuff work for me or not? But in terms of mindfulness, there's a short-term benefit and then there's a long-term benefit. And they're different from one another. The short-term benefit, and research has shown this, is that you see the good things in your life more easily. It's like you're taking a walk and you notice how beautiful things are because you're there for that walk. And people were taking the walk before, but they weren't noticing. They weren't being aware and mindful. It's like there's an immediate payback and that feels good, okay? With continued practice, the bigger benefit is that you stop ruminating on the irrelevant details that we all get caught up in. So the negative information that is not critical, you can let go of quicker.
0: How long does it take before that kicks in?
1: (laughs) I mean, I think it depends on the individual, but... I think that it depends how much you practice. And so a few months, definitely. Okay.
0: Yeah. yeah. I'm just thinking of clients, again, especially with anxiety problems. Mm-hmm. So I can't tell you how often I talk to somebody and they said, yeah, you know, I went over that conversation in my head a hundred times. Right. And it's the, that that right. person did this and I'm going to fill in the blank. Uh-huh. And that's the rumination.
1: Right. Rumination is a terrible cross. So being able to identify Those thoughts that are not helpful to us is huge. And then put them on a shelf. Right.
0: Stop, park them, whatever Mm -hmm. thing I do. And you
1: have the ability to come back to them if you need to process it.
0: Yeah, they're there. But running that tape over and over is unhealthy.
1: And if I replace it with something that's healthy, even better. Or just recognize that you have that habit of that ruminating thought. I'm not even of the camp to replace it with something better just to notice that that's what you do. So I talked about week one is willingness to daily practice. Week two is mindful sleep. Of course, week two is everybody's favorite because everybody wants a good night's sleep. Week three is identity of self and the benefit of breathing practices. Week four is mindful eating and so on. So week five, balance. And so through the eight weeks. So it's
0: stuff that doesn't sound so weird.
1: (laughs) Uh, I think part of my success is that I don't look like a hippie, that I wear a suit, that I look conservative. You teach in a university. You're a a doctor. I'm a professor. Yeah. I think that's part of it. And
0: it's evidence-based. Yeah. So it doesn't seem scary to folks.
1: Yeah. People always ask, well, how much mindfulness do I need to do to get these long-term effects, like your question? And my answer is always, you need to do enough mindfulness in the day to change the rest of the fabric of your day. If it's two minutes and you can do it in two minutes, great, wonderful. But the evidence suggests it's about 10 to 12. Right. And for some people, maybe a little more. But I think for some people it's less too. And that's why I've ended up going with some five-minute practices Because I think if, well, here's the other reason I went with five-minute practices during COVID. I did 35-minute practices to help people get through COVID. They're up to 35,000 views. (laughs) So I did five-minute practices, I did two-minute practices, and I did 30-minute practices. The weird part was the five-minute practices are the ones with the most views. The 30 minute and the two minute have the same amount of views. Isn't that weird? That's curious. It is
0: curious. And I assume people will go back to what's working for them. Yeah. So that would be some evidence of something. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. COVID taught me a lot of lessons. Yeah. Sounds like a great research opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) It was not one that I wanted, but it was.
0: (laughs) So let's bring it back to leaders as we come to a close. Okay. And the idea that well-being is so crucial for leadership. Mm -hmm. You talked about doing the program for the C-level or executives Uh at the med center. Mm -hmm. What kind of results did you see
1: for them? And did you see it impact anything in the organization? Definitely saw it impact things in the organization because then they're Managers, their middle managers under them. You know, they told them about their experience. The middle managers got their people to do it. So it was a cascade effect. <laughs> one of the leaders of one of our hospitals ended up making a donation because he wanted more people to be able to experience it, which I just could not believe that. It was huge. A big donation, then, not a $10 donation. No, no, yeah. <laughs> And I will never forget that support. That's when I knew it was making a difference. Yeah, that was great. And as I said before, I know that it impacted the C-suite when they wanted me then to work with some mm-hmm. of their family members.
0: I'm working with a client right now who's gone through a program and seen her blood pressure drop. Uh-huh. And What she said at the end of the program when I interviewed or or had our last follow-up session was, I can finally step into the next level because it won't injure me. My blood pressure has Mm -hmm. dropped to the point where it's healthy for me to move up in the organization. Mm -hmm. And that was just such a precious conversation that for leaders who are unable to take the next step Mm -hmm. because they want to preserve their Mm -hmm. health, that there are opportunities that are not Uh medication-related. Or maybe it's a combination of medication and mindfulness. Mm-hmm. I did not hear you saying stop your meds.
1: Oh, absolutely not. Yeah.
0: And this is a, a wonderful adjunct to the rest of a healthy life program. Mm-hmm. So, Mariana, you mentioned
1: videos, the two, the five, and the 30 minutes. How would someone find those? They're on YouTube, and you would just search my name, Marianna Clatt, K-L-A-T-T, K-L-A-T-T it may be under mindfulness in motion also but i know i've seen them under just my name mindfulness in motion has a website at ohio state it's just mindfulness in motion at osu.edu and express what you're interested in and one of my staff will get back to you so i have a wonderful group <laughs> the mindfulness team
0: well and for people for whom this is not what you've done mm-hmm. isn't comfortable seems a little mm-hmm different, but compelling, Mm -hmm. I strongly encourage you to go watch some of the videos. Check it out. As Marianna said, be skeptical. Yeah. See if it works for you. Do the respiration. Check your heart before and after your breathing Mm -hmm. and see how you feel. And if you feel healthier, keep doing it. (laughs) Thank you. I so appreciate your telling your story and the work you're doing, because it just ripples through our community we're a healthier community because of you.
1: The culture at Ohio State, there has been change. There's a shift. And I've just been a small piece of that, but I feel good about that. That's wonderful. To our listeners, thank you. I strongly encourage you
0: to check out Marianna's Mindfulness in Motion program and consider how it would impact your organization, both from a ROI hardcore organizational side and also from the precious souls who show up every day and give their effort in exchange for income how do you help them thrive and succeed Mm -hmm. consequently helping the organization Mm -hmm. thrive and succeed for a daily leadership tidbit from us and our guests be sure to follow us the Innovative Leadership Institute on LinkedIn
1: thank you so much Maureen I appreciate the opportunity to come on to